Well, in our lectionary, um, this like next couple or next three weeks or so uh, will be focused on Galatians. So I thought that we would follow the lectionary through and uh, follow the book or the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church and uh, see what he has to say to the Galatian church and see what he has to say to us, what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. And so this is part one. And so in part uh, chapters one and two are fairly introductory, but we'll pick some of that up. But the meat of the, the letter gets started in verse three. So Paul says in verse 10 that all who rely on works of the law under a curse. It reminds us of the opening statement at the beginning of the letter to the Galatians where he says, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confused or have confused you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven shall proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, Let that one be accursed. So evidently Paul believed that there was a teaching among the churches of Galatia which was so destructive to people and so dishonouring to God that it merited a divine curse. It was a teaching propagated not by secular humanists from Athens but by God-fearing Jewish Christian church members from Jerusalem. The reason why this letter to the Galatian church has such a a radical and life-changing message is that it uh, pronounces a curse from God, not on atheistic or agnostic outsiders, but on professing Christians who try to serve God in a way that diminishes his grace and cultivates their own pride. The letter to the Galatians is God's uh, needy reminder to us at Christ Church Melton that we are in constant danger of false assurances. Satan is constantly at work t- tempting us to think and feel that because we use God talk, because we speak Christianese, and we come to church, and we have sometimes we pray for our before our meals. And for the most part, we avoid gross sins, that we are therefore under God's blessing. But the letter to the Galatian church uh, concerns a group of people called Judaizers, who do all things, and yet they're under God's curse. Now, none of us should sit here easily under the scrutiny of this book that we're about to look at the next three weeks. Divine blessing and divine curse are the issue here in this chapter. And the division between the two is not between church people and non-church people, nor is it between those who call Jesus Lord and those who don't call Jesus Lord. It is between those, on one hand, who have been crucified with Christ and now in poverty of spirit live in continuing reliance on the living Christ. And those, on the other hand, who have never really died to self-reliance and whose religious activity through morality is all an exercise of self-reformation. The one group glories only in the cross of Christ by which they died all but to God. But the other group admires the powers and the potentials of self. And they diminish the grace of God 
and the cross of Christ. Now, one group of the, in the church, uh, so one, the one uh, group of mem- church members enjoy the blessing and the promises and the promise, the blessing that was promised to Abraham and, and his descendants, and the other group of church members is under a divine curse. So, the best way to listen to this message from Galatians chapter 3 is in a spirit of sober self-examination, which Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, when he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the flesh. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to pass the test? So, we are given a standard by which to test ourselves. It may affirm the reality of Christ's work in your life and send you with rejoicing, with new power, or it may prick your conscience and send you to prayer and to repentance. But the big takeaway here this morning, and God forbid that we should pigeonhole a message from the letter of Galatians and say to ourselves, this is only applicable to unbelievers and to those who are weak in faith. However, Paul's letter was written to the whole church, the church universal, not just to the Galatian church. It was written to us 2,000 years later. And the issue is the great divide between divine blessing and divine curse. Galatians 3, 10 to 14, makes three high-level statements which are momentous. The first statement is in verse 10. Those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. The second is in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the third in verse 14 gives us the purpose and the result of the second, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So let's try to understand these one at a time and apply them to ourselves and to our lives. First, those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. The opposite to curse is blessing. That is clear from verses 13 to 14, where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And since the blessing, according to verse 14, is the Holy Spirit, so the curse must be the absence of the Holy Spirit. So when verse 10 says that those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, it means that they are without the Holy Spirit. And that means that they are cut off from God and His wrath abides on them. So you can see how crucial it is to avoid being a person who relies on the works of the law. So what does this mean? What does all that mean? Well, there is no Greek word, and we all understand that the New Testament was written in Greek and then translated into English. There is no Greek word for legalism. We use that word a lot in our English language, legalism. There is no Greek word for legalism. So Paul had to get creative when he wanted to refer to legalistic misuse of Moses' teachings. He had either to use the term law or trust that the context would clarify the meaning of misuse of the law. 
or he had to use the phrase works of the law, which for Paul always had a negative legalistic meaning. Galatians chapter 2 verse 17 to 21 says, but if in your effort to justify, to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sinners? <coughs> Certainly not. But if I build up again the very thing that I um, once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, uh, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. We know from the context that Paul discussed, or Paul distinguishes what Moses really taught from the Judaizers or the legalists were, were, that were teaching, there is a difference. Paul's showing us there is a difference between law as God intended it and the law as legalism or law as an exercise in self-reformation or in self-justification. The law itself condemns the use of its own commands as a way of proving our worth to God and therefore trying to earn God's blessing. Paul uses the term works of the law to refer to this legalistic misuse of the law. So the works of the law in verse 10 do not refer to obedience which comes from faith but to self-reliant efforts which are the very opposite of faith. That's why works of the law are contrasted with faith in verse 5, where it says, Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and works of miracle and works miracles among you by which you are, works miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? So works of the law are not the good works that a Christian does in reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Works of the law are the self-reliant efforts to demonstrate virtue to people and to God. Therefore, the phrase works of the law is synonymous with legalism and the law of Moses itself condemns legalism. There's this great piece of artwork that depicts a railroad track rising up to heaven. And so the artist explains this and he says, God gave the law to show us the route to heaven, along with the engine of the Spirit who would pull us if we would couple ourselves to Him. But the Judaizers and many religious people today who know nothing of living in union with Jesus Christ, they take the railroad track and raise it up on its end and turn it into a ladder so that they can climb up to heaven by their own moral initiatives. Wherever that happens, or however religious people justify themselves, it is legalism, or as Paul puts it and says, it is works of the law. Now I hope 
we can see that what it says in verse um, 10, what it's getting at in verse 10. In verses 5 to 1, in 1 to 5, sorry, the Judaizers had told the Christian Galatians that it's okay. It's okay to start off in a life of faith. But then later you have to do some of the works yourself. And you begin by faith in the power of the Spirit. Now you have completed, uh, now, now to complete yourself by works, you have to do that in the power of the flesh. That was the message of the Judaizers. Now Paul answers this. Uh, Paul's answer is that it can't be done. It just can't be done. God, who goes on to supply the Spirit and works miracles in the believer's life, does so by faith and not by works of the law. So in verse 10 confirms this with these very stark words. If you start with faith and then shift over to the works of the law, you are under, or you will be, under a curse. Notice carefully the curse spoken of in verse 10 is not because we fail to do the works of the law. It is because we actually do them. The advice of the Judaizers, the advice of the religious person, the advice of the moral legalist is to supplement faith with works of the law. And that action has exactly the opposite effect from the one intended that is to, and it brings a curse, not a blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 6 to 7. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, in order that you may live. The Lord your God will put all, those, all these curses on your enemies and on the adversaries who took advantage of you. And so, the larger lesson of the law this morning, namely that without a new heart and without the enablement of God and without faith, all efforts to obey the law would simply be legalistic strivings of the flesh. So the point, the first point of this text is good moral religious people who have not been crucified with Christ and do not have the Spirit empowering them with humility and joy and love and faith often come into the church and often, often espouse the doctrines of the church and undertake the works of God in the power of the flesh. And such people are under a curse from the law itself, Paul says. The second thought, and our second high-level statement, is found in verse 13. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. Paul knew that he stood under a curse for all the years that he had devoted to legalistic law-keeping. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law faultless. Paul said from a legal standpoint that he had been blameless. But he did not know the first thing about obedience that comes from faith in reliance on the Holy Spirit. And so he was under a curse 
with the rest of his brethren who were striving to establish their own righteousness. He mentions this in Romans 10, 3. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And what hope is there when you have tried to bribe God with your pitiful virtues? When you have insulted the all-sufficient creator by elevating yourself to barter with him? Will you barter your morality in exchange for his mercy? There is no hope at all in any barter system with God in that sense, unless in his remarkable love is willing to transfer your sentence of death to another. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was not guilty for one moment of legalism. He trusted his Father perfectly and he lived in the power of the Spirit. He fulfilled the law perfectly because he knew that at its root, the law taught faith with works through love. So when he experienced the curse of the law on the cross... It was not his own, but ours. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6 says, Surely he took on our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like lost sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own ways and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. The good news for people who have come under the curse of God for the sin of moral self-reliance and that is all of us at one time or another is that God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. There is a way out if we look away from ourselves to Christ and hope in Him while we live. Thirdly and finally, verse 14, which says that God's aim in providing Christ as a saving substitute was that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul sees the blessing of Abraham summed up in the Holy Spirit. And as he says in verse 5, the Spirit is received through faith. So when we stop holding on to our desires of self-acclamation and look to God for righteousness and strength, then we will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And the connection between verses 13 and 14 teach us that the substitutory death of Jesus purchased for us, purchased for us the right to receive the incomparable gift of God's Spirit. A gift that shows us that the only way to receive it is by looking away from ourselves and to, the, and to Christ crucified. So what is Paul doing in chapter 3 of Galatians? He is pleading and arguing with the Galatians, the Galatian Christians not to be bewitched by the Judaizers. 
who wanted them to supplement a life of faith with the effort of the flesh. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now going to end with the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It is, pe- it is people of faith, not works, who are the children of Abraham and who inherit his blessing. People who take up works of the law are under a curse, Paul says. The law itself produces that curse. The substitutory death of Christ is our only and all-sufficient hope of escaping God's wrath. And because of it, God is willing to grace us with his spirit when we repent and turn away from self-confidence and put all of our confidence in him that is, when we are crucified, when we, when we all, sorry, when we are crucified to the old way of legal effort and live instead by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave Himself for us, as Paul says. So I close by putting before you the way of blessing in verse 14 and the way of curse in verse 10. What sets you under one or under the other is not so much what you do as the spirit in which you do it. Subjecting yourself to a certain dietary restriction may be a work of the law or it could be a free act of love which comes through faith. Sunday school teaching, preaching, being involved in food bank, all of these may be works of the law which we do in our own strength to move God's favour in our way or they may be done in humble reliance on the strength which God with the strength which God freely supplies and that is everything everything in everything that he might get the glory the decision of curse and blessing hangs on how we obey and who gets the credit so fighting the good fight of faith is do I, do, I, do I really believe that when Jesus died, all my curse was lifted so that I could say, what can mere mortals do to me? Or do I really believe that the death of Jesus is the pledge of God to withhold no good thing from those who trust him? And do I believe all things would work together for my good? This is the struggle my friends, of everyday Christian life. It is our most important work every day, how we keep our day's activity from becoming works of the law and how we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us to redeem us from the curse of legalism. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that I am saved by grace through faith. Help me also to live by grace through faith and not by works of the law carried out through my own merit. Help me to live as you intended all people to live in utter dependence on you, Lord Jesus, in the same way that he lived his life in utter dependence on you, Father. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.